Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you with us. As Pastor Dave mentioned just a few moments ago, my name is Tony Ria. I'm the senior pastor here. And today I get to introduce this brand new series entitled True or False. That's it, true or false. Now, years and years ago, when I was in high school, just about every Friday, one of my teachers would walk into the classroom and the very first words out of his mouth before he even had a chance to greet us or say hello, he would come right out and say, I want everyone to clear their desk. And as soon as he said that, we all knew what was coming. And the reason we knew it is because he went through that same spiel just about every Friday. And so after saying, I want you to clear your desk, he said, I have some bad news and some good news for you. The bad news is in just a few moments, I'm going to pass out a test. The good news is it's true or false. And that was always good news for me. In fact, from my perspective, I absolutely love the true or false format. With true or false questions, not only is the answer right there in front of you, but you have a 50-50 chance of getting it right. And when you studied the way I did, a 50% shot at success was an absolute gift from God. And so here we are, true or false, lesson number one, are you ready for your first challenge? Your first question. All right, here we are. All roads lead to heaven. True or false? False. All roads lead to heaven. In other words, it really doesn't matter how you live your life here on earth. When the dust settles and the smoke clears and it's all said and done, as long as you're a decent person and you tried your best, everybody's going to land at the same destination anyway. I mean, we're eventually all going to meet up with God in heaven and spend an eternity with him. True or false? For those of you who think what I just described to you is a no-brainer, and that the Bible is crystal clear and teaches beyond a shadow of a doubt that that statement is false, if that's what you believe, that all roads do not lead to heaven, would you be shocked if I told you the jury is still out on this one. And according to the latest research, this whole concept of who gets to go to heaven is split right down the middle. And this statistic that I'm telling you about is not driven by unbelievers only. Currently, as we speak, at this very moment, right around 50% of all Christians believe there is more than one way to heaven. 50%. One out of every two. And so if we're average here at Community Christian Church, that means that half of the people in this room, right around half of the people watching online or listening to my voice, they believe that there's more than one way to heaven. that the statement I just made could be true. 
And friend, that opinion, that understanding, or that choice, like so many other controversial Bible issues, has been shaped and manipulated by today's postmodern culture. There has been so much pressure and so much uh, uh, tolerance, pardon me, there's been so much pressure placed upon tolerance and compromise these days that for the sake of peace, so that we can get along with everyone, many believers have been willing to undermine and even disregard the age-old traditions and truths, not to mention the Word of God. Maybe the Bible got it wrong. Maybe our interpretation of the Bible is inaccurate. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, this is what Peter said. Salvation, or making your way to heaven, is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Do you remember what name that Peter was talking about? Jesus. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus himself said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no man, no woman comes to the Father, no one makes their way to heaven, what? Except through me. One more. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and below the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, I could go on like this all morning long. There are so many verses of Scripture that confirm what I'm saying to you right now. And these are the verses that help me to formulate my opinion. And so based on the word of God, according to his word, with deep conviction and absolutely no apology, my conclusion is all roads do not lead to heaven. Did you catch that? All roads do not lead to heaven. And I know that kind of an unyielding and dogmatic stance today is not a popular one. And the current culture wants me to tone it down a little bit. Become a little bit more accepting, open-minded, more charitable. You know, embracing the difference of opinion. And at times I see the value in all that, but I am not prepared to compromise the Word of God. It does not matter how much pressure the secular world places upon me, I'm not messing with his lordship. In fact, the lordship of Jesus Christ is a message I will defend and champion with all of my heart. As the minister of the gospel message, I will preach Christ crucified and raised from the dead because Jesus is the only one who overcame death, hell, and the grave. He's the only one who went up against principalities and powers and defeated them. And the scripture says, currently, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's clothed in majesty as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's the only one there. That's why we've been singing about him all morning, worshiping Jesus Christ. And the people who deny or reject his lordship 
One day they will stand before the Lord and they will have to give an explanation as to why they checked the all roads lead to heaven box. They're going to have to convince God of why they made that particular decision or that choice. But here's the truth. It's not our business. It's not my business. It's not your business. We're not the judge. We're not the people who get to make the determination. That's God's responsibility. So we need to focus in on ourselves. And we don't need to know what we believe and what we uh, think the, the Bible substantiates. Now, from my perspective, if you ask me, and this is really the important part of this message this morning, and I'm going to ask you to try to hang with me, because for those who know this, those who've heard this, it's easy to check out. And I'm praying that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will receive something, you'll be able to hear something that's beyond my capability of articulating it. Please follow me now. Try to, try to lock in. From my perspective, anyone who believes or concludes that all roads lead to heaven and that there is more than one way to God other than Jesus, they clearly don't understand the central theme or the main idea of Christianity. So people who think that that statement this morning is true they don't get what Christianity is all about. They don't understand it at its core. And friend, this is extremely important. There's no margin of error here. We have to get this right. We have to know in our heart of hearts what the essence of Christianity is really all about. Now, last month, uh, over the Labor Day Weekend, Teresa and I, were, we were able to sneak back out to Sioux Falls for a couple days. Uh, we went to see uh, Tony and Natalie and our grandchildren. It was um, Audrey's birthday. She turned 12 years old, and I think we have a picture of her. That's them, and earlier you saw Gio run out and say hello to me. They're here uh, this weekend. And so we had a lot of fun there in Sioux Falls. Now, while we were there, one of the days... I was talking with Gio, and I said, Gio, did you know it's the start of the football season now? The NFL is getting, getting started. Are you going to watch football with your dad on Sunday afternoons? I said, you know, that is a huge Rhea family tradition. And so he said to me, you know, I don't know that much about football. He said, my dad and I, we play catch from time to time. We throw the football around, but I really don't know how to play. I thought to myself, are you kidding six years old, and you don't know the game of football yet? So I took him outside, and I drew a diagram of a football field, and I began to explain to him what football was all about, and I told him there's an offense and there's a defense, and the offense has to move the ball down the field. They get first downs, and the defense has to try to prevent the offense from getting into the, the, to the end zone. And right about the time I was explaining all that in a very... Uh, 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 passionate and intense way, Giovanni raised his hands to, to get me to stop, and he said, Papa, what's the point of football? <laughs> he wasn't asking a question. It was more of a lecture. Like, would you quit 
with all the boring details and the unimportant things, skip all of that, and just tell me how to play. Teach me how to play this game. I want to know the main idea. Now, when it comes to Christianity, I grew up in a religious home. I went to church every Sunday, didn't miss. During the services that I was at, there was always some part of the Bible uh, that, was, that was talked about. I heard portions of the scripture. I absolutely loved the Christmas account and the Easter story. But for the first 21 years of my life, I didn't know what the main theme of Christianity was. I couldn't have told you what the central idea was. Not even close. In fact, in those years, it just seemed to me that the majority of the world religions all blended together. And for the most part, they all taught pretty much the same lessons. For example, most if not all the world religions have some form of the golden rule. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. Most if not all religions teach some kind of benevolence. Love one another. Accept each other. Serve the poor. Be kind to one another. You know, have some love in your heart. And then, just ask the majority of religious leaders, I mean, talk to a Jewish rabbi or a Muslim minister, a Hindu holy man, or any sage who follows the teachings of Buddha, and ask them this one question. How do sinful, flawed, and imperfect people get right with God? How do we do that? And across the board, they would all answer that question pretty much the same way. For every religion other than Christianity, religious leaders and thinkers will tell you the only way to get right with God is what? Through good works. You have to work your way there. You have to make sure that the good outweighs the bad, and you tip the scale in the good favor. In other words, clean up your act. Try to become a better person. Play by the rules. Keep the commandments of God. Love more. Hate less. Be patient. Give some of your money away. See, that's the self-sacrifice or the self-atonement plan. Making your way to heaven, trying to earn your way into the good graces of God on the road of dutiful efforts and good works. Only Christianity is different. Only Christianity teaches you can't get to heaven all by yourself. You can't do that on your own. Christianity teaches we need a Savior. And we were singing the gospel message all morning. We were telling that story in song. The same story that we hear over and over again. This is what Christianity says. It's so much different than all the other religions. Christianity says you need a Savior. Everybody needs a Savior. In fact, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the one that a lot of people put up on a pedestal, do you remember what she said? My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit does rejoice in God my Savior. Mary even acknowledged she needed a Savior. 
And make no mistake, once you acknowledge what Jesus did for us, once you accept the gospel message, become a passionate believer, and choose to live your life as a devoted follower of his, then Christianity teaches the exact same things that I just said to you. Namely, do your best to become a better person. Clean up your act. Love more, hate less, the whole shot. You know, be patient, be kind, share some of what you have with others. The big difference is Christianity teaches the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. That's the only way. That's the gospel message. That's what you and I believe. You see, it's not about what we do. It's all about what he has already done. And now I'm talking about what he did on the cross. The main idea, the central theme of Christianity, forget for just a minute all the other things that are really important. The big idea is what Jesus did for us on the cross. What happened there. The events that took place on Good Friday. And 45 years ago, I understood that for the very first time, and it rocked me. It dramatically changed my life. I'm talking about a dramatic and radical 180. And the message of the cross smacked me right between the eyes. It hit me like a bolt of lightning. And it literally took my breath away. After the first 21 years of going to church and hearing the priests talk about the Bible and understanding some of the stories and going to catechism and learning all those things that I learned, when I finally understood the message of the cross, something happened here. Not here. That came later. What was important is what happened in my heart. Amen. The change that took place. And I'm kind of hoping that the same thing happens for some of you today. That after years and years of church going, years of reading through the Bible, to, today the clouds will part for you. And maybe for the first time in your life, you'll get it. And that revelation of the cross will literally change the direction of your life. It will impact you in such a way you will never be the same after today. And for those of you who have already received that revelation and you've been a Christian serving the Lord for years, then I'm believing that just by reviewing this story today, not only will it inspire you to continue to serve the Lord, but you will take an extra step toward God in your own relationship with him. I'm talking about surrendering your entire life and everything about you to God. You see, at the cross, at the foot of the cross, when Jesus hung there, something incomprehensible, something life-changing and supernatural took place. And it was so dramatic, a cold and calloused Roman praetorian centurion, the one who orchestrated the bloody and brutal execution of Jesus, he was changed and transformed from the inside out. 
It all happened there. The Bible spells out and tells us when this Roman leader heard Jesus cry and saw the manner in which he died, immediately without hesitation, he proclaimed, he declared, truly this must be the Son of God. Can you imagine that? cold-hearted guy who didn't care anything at all about religion. He stood there at the foot of the cross. He watched Jesus die, and he, he, de- he declared the gospel story. This is the Son of God. My question is, what did he see? What did he hear? What in the world went on there at the foot of the cross? This centurion, he heard Jesus cry with a loud voice, it is finished. And then Jesus bowed his head, breathed his last breath, and died. It is finished, and then he died. What was finished? What was Jesus talking about? Well, the sacrifice for sin was made, and now God's plan of salvation was finished. The death Jesus made on the cross, his death on the cross, represented a sacrifice to God. And because of that sacrifice, God's plan for salvation was complete. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his blood there, the demands for justice were satisfied. I want you to remember that statement I just made. When Jesus died on the cross and when he shed his blood, God's demand for justice was satisfied. Now, bear with me for just a moment as I get through this story. Some of you might have been following it for the last couple of months. Two weeks ago on Sunday, September the 19th, the dead body of Gabby Petito was found in Wyoming. She had been missing for over a week. In case you don't know this story, uh, a week or so before the police found her body, her boyfriend or fiance, the one that she was making a cross-country road trip with, he returned home to Florida, pulled into his driveway, driving Gabby's van, but no Gabby. Gabby wasn't there. So a week or so later, Gabby's parents reported her missing. And that's when the boyfriend decided to lawyer up, to plead the Fifth Amendment. He didn't answer any questions that the police asked him. He didn't talk to them at all. Refused to give the whereabouts of where Gabby was or what it might have happened. And then a day or two later, he decides to leave home. He goes on the run and he goes missing. And after that, the Gabby story went viral. Now she's being followed on social media by millions of people. Maybe 10 million people are following this story on social media. And when the story broke that Gabby's dead body was found, there was a nationwide outrage, and rightly so. Maybe it happened for you. Maybe you were involved in a story and it got a hold of you emotionally. People demanded that the boyfriend be found and held accountable. And I know there's a presumption of innocence in the United States, but the overwhelming mindset here was retribution. Someone needs to pay for Gabby's tragic death. This girl died. As it stands right now, as it looks right now, or the the appearance of it, the boyfriend left her there. He may or may not have killed her. 
but her death is tragic. And somebody needs to pay. Do you have any idea where that comes from? Where this call for justice and punishment and someone paying the price for wrongdoing, why that's so ingrained in us? Do you know why? Where does that originate from? From God. It comes right from the heart of God. Make no mistake, the Bible identifies God as a God of justice. He's a holy God. He has perfect character, righteousness in all of his ways. He's righteous in all of his ways. And he will not, he cannot allow the guilty to go unpunished. That means even though when the preacher stands up and tells you that God loves you with an everlasting love, that's the truth. And that his mercies are new every morning, that's the truth. Still, God cannot turn his back on sin. A holy God cannot sweep injustice under the rug. It has to be dealt with. And do you remember what I, ta- I told you just a few moments ago? Remember I said when Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his blood, God's demand for justice was satisfied? He's a holy God. He had to do something with all the evil and all the sin that's in the world. And from the moment that sin entered the human race, and you can trace this all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's there in the book of Genesis. From the time that Adam and Eve sinned, atonement for sin was made through the innocent blood of an animal. An innocent blood of an, uh, of an animal had to be shed. That was the only two choices. Either the sinner, the one who committed the infraction, he died on the spot, or an animal was used as a substitute to take the sinner's place. How many know most everybody chose the animal? A bull, a lamb, or a goat was sacrificed for the sin, and the blood from that innocent animal made things right. The animal died, and in the process, the sinner was let off the hook. And in the short run, B.C., before Christ, this was God's way of dealing with sin. This is how the demands of justice were satisfied. Before Christ, it was the life and the blood of an animal. And you can read all about that in the Old Testament of your Bible. However, in the long run, see, that was the short run, but in the long run, there was an issue with that whole system. And it presented a huge problem for us. And the problem was, the blood from animals can't remove sin. It can't take sin away. All it could do was cover it up for a little while or hide the sin. And I know that because we have a book called Hebrews in the New Testament of our Bible. And Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 says this, it is not possible. It's not what? It's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's not possible to take it away. And so that means if sin was actually going to be dealt with, if there ever was going to be forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God, then the penalty for sin or the punishment for sin had to come from a flawless human 
sacrifice. Are you following me? Are, are, you, are you connecting? Okay, in the Old Testament, there were animals that shed their blood. That blood made atonement for sin, but it couldn't remove the sin. It could only cover it. It could only hide it for a little while because God's ultimate plan was the human sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Enter the picture, Jesus. The Messiah. The prophesied Redeemer. The Son of God. The one who was going to pay full price for all of us. In fact, when John the Baptist laid eyes on Jesus, the very first thing he said, do you remember what he said? Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away. New idea here. Not covers it. Not prolongs the justice plan of God. But now we have a sacrifice that's going to be able to take away and remove our sins. And a little bit later on in that same Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, the Hebrew writer goes on to say this, every priest, every Old Testament priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices over and over again. The lambs, the goats. I mean, he just kept killing animals and shedding their blood. But it can never take away sins. Do you see that? All of this Old Testament sacrifice could never really deal with the sin issue. But then, when Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin. How many times? One time. His own life. After he had done that, was raised from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of God, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's you and me. And now he deserves a huge round of applause. One sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross has removed the sin. You see, that's what it means when Jesus said, it's finished. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. And friend, this is the central theme of Christianity. This is the idea you have to get right. You have to understand it. Jesus became my substitute. Say that, please. Jesus became my substitute. He went to the cross. He died there. He shed his blood for me. He paid full price for my redemption. His blood didn't hide the sin. It defeated sin. And friend, this is so critical. You might say, yeah, I heard that so many times. I could recite it in my sleep. But there's a reason why it's so important. There's a reason why it has to move down into your heart and change the way you live and the way you act. Because Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have missed the mark. We're all guilty of infractions. We have some sin in our lives that needed to be dealt with, not covered up, not having some distance between when it happened and now. It needed to be forgiven. It needed to be cleansed. And to make matters worse, a little bit later on in the same book of Romans, Paul would say in Romans 6.23, the wages or the consequences of sin is death. And so if all of sin and the consequence is death, what does that mean? 
that we were all destined to die. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. Separation from God with absolutely no chance at reconciliation except for the cross. The cross changed all that. You and I, we were headed for hell. That was the only destination that we could possibly obtain except for the cross. And as our substitute, Jesus went to the cross. He took our punishment upon himself. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised because of our sin. And the punishment that belonged to us was placed upon him. And by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. And today, making your way to the good grace of God, getting on a road that leads to heaven, starts right there at the foot of the cross. In fact, that's the only way. Repenting of our sin, bowing our knee there, and understanding Jesus was my substitute. And that's a perfect segue into our communion service. So I'm going to ask you to stop for just a moment. In fact, just bow your head for a moment. You you, you might have the communion cup in your hand. That's great. You want to play with it and start to get the cover off of it. That's fine. It's going to take a couple seconds. But I want you to think about some of the things I just said. And Father, I'm asking in these closing moments right now, this communion time, that the greatest miracle would take place, the miracle of salvation. Lord, if there's one person here, if there's one person watching online, if 10 years from now, one person gets their hands on this message and listens to it, then everything we did here today is worth it. But I know, Lord, I'm convinced in my heart because of this statistic that just breaks my heart because the common belief today, the the modern day belief, what makes sense to us, what tickles our thought pattern more than anything else is there's got to be more than one way to heaven. The understanding, the reasoning is that there are a lot of people on the planet. How could there be just one way? What about all the people who have never heard? What about all the people that have been taught something else? That's up to God to decide. What's important is what you do. The decision you make is the Spirit of God pounds on your heart. And I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's some people here in this room who've heard this story countless times, but you haven't grasped 
the meaning. Can I get you to look at me for just a moment? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul the Apostle said, I passed along to you what I received from the Lord himself, that Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, every time you hold this bread in your hand, and as often as you receive this cup, every time you hold the covenant cup in your hand, I want you to remember my death on that cross. I want you to remind yourself of the central idea of Christianity, that salvation takes place there. That's where the decision is made whether or not you are going to spend an eternity with God. Right where the centurion was. Right where he was standing when he heard Jesus cry out with a loud voice, it's finished. Do you believe that? Can you believe it? It is finished. You don't have to carry your sin. You don't need to give any blood. You don't have to carry around a bunch of burdens of shame and condemnation. All you have to do is surrender to him. That's it. See, Jesus called attention to his death on the cross because his death and sacrifice is the key to salvation. Maybe you don't want to think about his blood. Maybe when we sing songs about the blood of Jesus and we talk about him shedding his blood, you don't want to hear that. That's where salvation lies. It's in his sacrifice. And you can go ahead and live a decent life. Have at it. Do your best to play by the rules and treat other people kindly and be benevolent and open-hearted and open-minded. None of those actions are a prerequisite for salvation. There's only one truth. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And this story of the cross will pretty much mean nothing to you until you understand that. We all need a Savior. Every one of us. Not good works. Not a decent life. Not better than the next guy. We need to bow our knee at the cross. Romans 10.9 says it. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And if you would say to me, Pastor, I'm getting it. Maybe for the first time I understand it. I, I, I think I have a handle on the main theme, the main idea of the Christian faith that I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith this morning. I'm going to ask you to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So let, let me get you to just bow your head for one, one more moment, and we're going to receive the bread and the cup. If you're here today, in the room or online, and you would say, I'm tired of my own self-atonement plan. I'm tired of doing things my way. 
I want to do it God's way. I want to draw from the salvation grace that God has given to me and to others. And you've never done this before, but you want to take this step toward God today. Can I get you to raise your hand? Just put it up for a second. Hold it up. Go ahead, hold it up. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Hold it up. Let God, give God a chance to see it. Sometimes we put it up and down so fast, no one can see it. Anyone else? Online? If you'd like to take this step, there's a salvation tab there. Just go ahead and, and hit that tab or just put in there, that's me. And Father, I thank you for this miracle today. Can we all say this little prayer? Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus. I declare him my Savior and Lord. He's my substitute. Because of him, I can live. And I can find my way to heaven. That's the road I want to be on. Amen. Lord, there are many needs in the place today. There are physical needs, there are emotional needs, financial, spiritual, relational. And what you give us is contained here in this cup. This is the covenant cup that declares to us all that you are and all that you have belongs to us. And Lord, today, as your children, making a fresh commitment to serve you, to surrender our lives to you, we receive the full benefits of this cup. Let's take the bread and the cup together. I have a pastor friend that I've known for maybe 10 years, maybe a little bit longer. Travels around the world. God's used in a powerful way. He sent me a text yesterday afternoon, late. I'll give you just the highlights. He said to me, Tony, I appeal to you prophetically. Tomorrow, make Jesus your theme. Make much of the name of Jesus tomorrow. I was glad I had this prepared. <laughs> but I had to rewrite everything. But see, traveling around the world, especially today, he's learned what happens when you talk about the name of Jesus. Things happen here on the inside. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually they will. These seeds sown about Jesus being our only hope, they'll bring a harvest. They're fruitful. The most powerful theme of any service is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's defend it. Let's champion this cause. The central theme of our faith, Jesus Christ, our substitute, our redeemer. Thank you so much for coming today. God bless you. If you raised your hand, and I saw a few, you can do this, you know, subtly. Just go on to the back to the welcome desk or the next steps desk. Tell them you'd like to get a, a Bible. You'd like to make that next step in your faith with God. We'll help you along the way. We want to help you as you continue to pursue God. Have a great day today. God bless you.
Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.